I'm Andy Murray, the Executive Director of the Major Projects Association, and I'm also the co-chair of the Engagement Workstream for the Project Data Analytics Task Force. The Major Projects Association supported Project Hack 11, run by the Project Data Analytics community and Projecting Success. We asked our members to bring their challenges and come along to see what's possible from a two-day hackathon. This is the first of a pair of podcasts and includes interviews with various people at the hackathon, as well as some observations made over the two days in early October 2021. The second podcast includes a further set of interviews of the teams who worked on the winning solutions, and also from some of the judges who reviewed them. I arrived this morning um, to a very busy uh, reception area at the Hallam Conference Centre in central London, just down from uh, Portland Street. And... uh, what struck me first was a, a real diversity of those people that have come along to the hack. Uh, and that's by way of uh, gender, uh, ethnicity, uh, age, but also roles. Um, so there are people here that are data scientists, data analysts, project professionals, and those are perhaps in project delivery or PMO, uh, and also a real mix of uh, seniority, if you like, or experience rather. So some people that are perhaps uh, a few years out of graduation uh, and uh, others, uh, senior execs, uh, who come along either to contribute or just to see what's going on. Right, I'm sat here with Martin Paver, CEO of Projecting Success and uh, founder of the Project Data Analytics Task Force. So Martin, you know, what is a project hack? So it's a great question, Andy. So it's an opportunity to bring a load of like-minded people together and solve problems which are sort of facing the profession and the industry at the moment. So we take uh, real-life challenges, and we've got quite a few today. We've got 14 challenges here today. We bring together project professionals. We bring together data scientists and data professionals and people from the Project Data Academy as well. And they come together and... It's a group of people who's probably never met before in their lives. Uh, We have teams of six people. Uh, They probably spend the first uh, 30 minutes arguing about what they're going to do. Then they spend 30 minutes start to shape the problem. And then after that, they start to get stuck in. So they break into sub-teams and they start to work up their solutions. And it seems that's where we're at at the moment. So we're sort of um, just around midday uh, on day one. So the team seem to have formed. Uh, I think they've mostly selected their challenges now, and I guess they're now trying to work out their top-level approach to, to dealing with those challenges. So we've probably seen this morning, it's all down to the quality of the pitch as well from the people presenting the challenges. So there's a lady called Jo Stanford from NHS. She did a superb job, and she's got 16 people there who's solving Joe's problems for the NHS. And that's looking at these 10,000 project professionals across the NHS and working out from those project professionals and what their skill profile is and where they need to go in terms of career progression and what we can do in terms of apps and solutions to improve that. So I think what's going to happen now is we'll see these teams now start to uh, turbocharge, we'll start to see a lot of tech support coming in, they'll, they'll start to get into things like machine learning models and Power BI and things like that. Um, and this is when we start to really build in the tech support. Yeah, there's some great challenges there. Uh, I, I thought the mix of challenges was, was really interesting. So we had what I would call a, a couple that were based upon um, shaping the project portfolio. So we had one from UK Power Networks around 
helping them shape their um, investment pipeline as to where they should be doing their uh, substations and their, their, their enhancements for uh, patterns of new EV purchasing. And then we had uh, similar from Transport for London around predicting um, flood uh, and, and other uh, weather-related impacts on their assets. So again, informing where they would prioritise their capital investments. Uh, and then we had uh, some that uh, Joe's from NHS was mostly around capability. Uh, and then we had, I think that most of the others were uh, really focusing on aspects of uh, project delivery. So it was a fascinating mix. So Martin, uh, you know, what motivated you to do your first hack or organise your first hack? And, and when did you do it? So it started three years ago, actually, Andy. So the first hackathon was three years ago tomorrow. We've had 11 hackathons, so this is our 11th today. Um, and we started it because there's a lack of people who really got Project Data Analytics. They didn't understand what it's all about. So we started the Project Data Analytics meetup in December 2017, and that's now grown to about 8,000 people. Um, that was great just to share what people thought and, and share some some tips and experience but it's not enough to really understand what project data analytics is all about how to go about solving a problem and the pace of being able to solve problems as well so what we do in terms of the first hackathon we teamed up with sir robert mcalpine and they very kindly sponsored it at the microsoft reactor and what we did then was we brought a load of people together um there's about 60 at the time um, and we solved a lot of problems. And one of the problems was Kia working with Sir Robert Calpine collaboratively on snag data. Right. Um, and that got us going. And what came out of that was a lot of inspired people and they really understood the, the, the art of the possible with project data analytics. And they understood that it's accessible and all this stuff which is available in the cloud and a lot of people didn't understand before because we sort of teamed them up with data scientists. We just inspired them and it took away all of this fear. Yeah, it took away the barriers. It's really interesting to say that, Martin. So at our conference recently, we, we looked at the last 40 years of, uh, of, of lessons from major projects uh, with the association being 40 years old. And we also did a spotlight on... Uh, we, we called it tomorrow's world today, but things that were happening today that many people would regard as being futuristic. And I really think that Project Data Analytics is in that space. People think that some of the things you're talking about are futures, but actually they're available right now and pretty much um, low cost with off-the-shelf um, products. So in terms of this tech, it's all there today. There's loads of companies using it. Amazon's using it, eBay's using it. There's loads and loads of this tech at the back of organisations. So there's a good chance then that these organisations have licences for this, you know, these systems and products you know, as a part of their enterprise setup anyway. So it's all, um, in some organisations, it's freely accessible because it's just part of a bundled licence yep. and you can just pull it down and some is a pay-per-use basis. But um, it's not expensive. And once we start to get into this in bulk, and I think part of the problem today is that if we don't understand the power of the data in data analytics, we'll never get to the point where the data is good enough so we can drive the insights out of it because we value data as an exhaust plume, not as an asset in its own right. So if we see that this data codifies the experience of project delivery, so then when we start to value it, we start to drive up its quality, we start to drive up the volumes, and at that point, we can then start to do all this very clever stuff in machine learning. And I think in a lot of organisations at the moment, the data is probably not good enough because they've not aligned it with the problems they're trying to solve. 
and just throwing machine learning models at it is not necessarily going to work because you need to think through the overall problem space. Yeah, it's quite good to, you know, that, that valuing data is a critical step in, in getting value. And it's great to see, you know, with the Major Projects Association, you know, we, you know, I've been calling it sort of a Major Projects takeover of your Project Hack 11, but it's really inspired the members. And we've got, I think, 10 of the 14 challenges that, that are here today have come from members. And uh, I think we've got a decent number of senior execs coming along just to see what's going on. So hopefully that's going to translate into, you know, valuing data more uh, as a result of these sorts of events. I think it's bigger than just valuing data, Andy. I think it's about um, changing people's sort of perception of project delivery. It becomes really exciting as well because we now start getting to forecasting and predicting the future, right? So it's not just forecasting through straight line estimates. It's now starting to say, we can use all of this data of the past to anticipate the future. So if you can imagine that the job of a project professional is to preempt some of this stuff if we start to do that, it starts to drive up the value of a project professional. So if you can save 5-10% on a project because you can save all of this money and you can bring it back in and give it a greater investability because you've got more delivery confidence, then it makes sense for the management team and they're going to start to reward us for it. So I think it's a really exciting career. I think it'll be a different career to being a standard project professional. Mm. And I think those people who are pathfinders on this will really change the future. Yeah, and it's um, going slightly off-piste, but I, I noticed uh, the uh, um, the T-shirts that people are wearing uh, at the hack here. So we've got, as I mentioned in my introduction, a real variety of people, including quite a number of apprentices. And the apprentices aren't, you know, in their 20s, but generally are they? We've got some quite, uh, you know, people that, um, how can I say this politely, but they've been around for a while in, in, in their careers and, and they've they've come late to the apprenticeship scheme. Uh, and I guess it's those people are realising they just need to retrain and get that new skill set uh, because that's where the future's going. So the apprenticeship scheme, it pivoted about four or five years ago, Andy. So it was something for uh, 16, 17-year-olds, you know, that sort of age. And it pivoted because the UK government said UK sort of productivity is falling behind. And it's falling behind because we're not investing enough in people's development. And we're not staying up with the latest thinking. So they start to tax organisations basically with a pay bill of more than £2 million. And they tax them at 0.5% of their revenue. And that's to go into a training pot. And if they don't spend that training pot within two years, then the tax one keeps it. So what they're trying to do is to inspire organisations to train their people on lifelong learning. This is not something where you just go to college, you do a degree or you do an apprenticeship, you get no more training for the rest of your life. This is saying basically is that this technology is moving at pace and the job of a project professional is going to be transformed massively. So I'll just give you a great example. So a project controls apprenticeship is a level three. Is that, that's that sort of A-level, is it? Is that the equivalent or is that level four A-level equivalent? It's between A-level and HNC and right, old money. Okay. Right. Yep. So, so good qualification. Yeah. And a level four is a, a, a HNC equivalent. Right. right? Um, it used to be foundation degree, but they've changed the definitions now. I think a level five is a foundation degree, but they used to call it a foundation degree as well. So the project controls apprenticeship at level three is uh, three years for a standard project controls apprenticeship that you'd have probably done in the 70s or 80s. The project data analytics apprenticeship is 12 months long right. and it's on practical learning and it's next level up. 
So I think my challenge is to the project controls community is why have we not adapted to the times? Yeah, so, so it's a case of at the moment there's a specialist uh, um, apprenticeship around project data analytics, but at some point you know, all project-based learn or all learning for project professionals will need to include data analytics as a core element of it. It needs to be accelerated. Now this stuff is with us now. If you're not good at this, you'll fall behind, right? If your peers start to get good at this and they start to really transform your organisation, those are the people who's going to shine. So I think that project data analytics probably needs to be part of every project professional's job. Uh, but I question whether we can just bolt this onto project controls and it becomes a project controls and data analytics apprenticeship because it's a big topic. Right? We spend 12 months teaching people on this and we run hackathons specifically solving project data analytics problems where you've got the code in Python and this other stuff. So I think it's a blend of doing a bit of project controls, learning how to plan and do cost sort of engineering and that sort of stuff and then topping it up with this uh, concept around project data analytics. So I think it's blended learning. It's, it's not just going in the old school, I go and learn about project management and I go and learn about project controls. I think you pick and mix and I think you can add uh, project data analytics into that mix as a top up qualification. Sounds great. So I could talk to you for a, a lot longer, Martin, as you know, we, we, we chat about project data analytics uh, a lot, but um, I'm really keen to get around the room and in particular, I'm going to go and chat to some of the apprentices here. So I'll leave it there and uh, perhaps I'll come back to you later on over the hack. Thank you, Martin. Thanks, Andy. So I'm with uh, Joe Stanford from Health Education England. But Joe, you've got a, a pan NHS role as well, is that right? Uh, so yeah, so thanks, Andy. I um as well as having the day job of Head of Corporate Portfolio Office for HEE, um, I've been leading a programme to develop the project profession in the NHS, working with my counterparts as a collaborative in the other arms like bodies and with uh, leads from across regions representing trusts, uh, clinical commissioning groups and sort of every part of the NHS, all working collaboratively to develop the, the project profession. So Joe's also expert or excellent at doing a pitch. So um, the way that the hacks work is uh, that there's a number of challenges presented. So there were um, 14 challenges that were offered up. Uh, Joe went last, but I don't think it's just because you went last, but it was, you know, it was the best pitch. Uh, and uh, you've ended up with five teams working on your challenge. Yes, absolutely. So I've got three teams in the building and two online. Um, and I have to say that's keeping me busy because they're all coming for information and to check things out and to test ideas with me and stuff which is absolutely fantastic yeah. it's an amazing bunch of people um, but again I think what I've learned um, is particularly around developing the project profession you can try and get the right people in the right roles in the right organizations but if they don't have the passion and the interest and the energy mm -hmm. to do something you won't get very far so I sort of stopped doing that and I just went out and said who cares about this who's interested who's got yeah. the the drive and understands the vision and wants to go on the journey with us and, and therefore in terms of the development of the profession I've got those people together as a as a crew to to really put their energy into making this happen and, and, and therefore they do so yeah that's great so um, just a quick um, uh, precedent of the, the challenge that you set out that these teams are working on so um, at the moment there is no central coordination of the project profession in the NHS. Nobody owns it and nobody's responsible for developing and managing it. So we do it as, as a collective and part of the challenge we have is we don't have uh, a register of project professionals so we don't know where they are, we don't know what level they're at, so we don't know uh, what the um, 
balance of equality and diversity is. We've got some very raw data, so we've got some indicators, but what we don't have is, is real tangible data that helps us to um, manage the existing workforce, to support them with careers, support them with talent management, support uh, access to opportunities and improve that. Um, we also don't uh, know at the moment um, what the demand's going to be and where it's going to be. So what the challenge is, is for them to take some of the data we've got now, which isn't complete, and to use their amazing insights and experience to come up with some really creative ways mm -hmm. for how we could uh, both create the data, model it, and then use it to help build the project profession, build the right skills in the right place, the right time, and um, make sure that we can plan for the future so we, we can keep it uh, going and meet the future challenges as they come along. Yeah, so I've been uh, wandering around, as you know, um, talking to the the various teams throughout the you know yesterday and today, and, and I'm pretty impressed with the progress that's that's been made. So, um, um, in part two of this podcast, if you like, so we're going to be uh, talking to the the four best teams uh, that are at the award ceremony at our uh, 20th of October um, seminar. Um, and I suspect with five teams, there's a good chance, Joe, that one of your teams will, will be making the, the the final four. What are your thoughts? Um, that would be fantastic, and I think it would be a, a real recognition for those teams for all of the hard work they've mm. put in. Um, they're very different teams, so some of them are very new to it, so we've got some apprentices, it's their first hack, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're new to data analytics, and so this is a really learning experience for them. Uh, certainly some of the teams are uh, experts, they're professionals, they're here because they, they're interested in the challenge, they're doing some team building. So I think we're going to get a real mix of results. And in a sense, it's not necessarily um, the, the, the sort of the, the depth, but it's actually the creativity that um, is going to make a difference in terms of how, how they come across. But I think the really valuable thing for me is that all of them care about the fact that what they're producing will help to make a difference mm. for us in the real world, supporting the NHS, supporting the project profession, and that there's there's a real sense of uh, reward for them to be able to do something that's going to make a you know an impact. Yeah, I was, I've been mightily impressed by um, the things that you're likely to be able to take away and apply. Uh, you know, straight back into the into into your work or into your role, really. And I have to say, so, I'm extremely grateful for the teams, not only for the incredible hard work that they're doing and their their knowledge and insight, but also their very generous offer to help me to understand what I can do mm. with it afterwards. Because I'm not the expert, and I need <laughs> yes. them to direct me in terms of and how can I make best use of this. Yeah. Um. And and that's that's a level of generosity in terms of their yeah. time and effort that uh, goes above and beyond. Great. Well, I'm not going to hold you up any longer. Thank you very much, Joe, and uh, hopefully see you in a few weeks' time at the uh, when we find out the winners. Absolutely. Thank you, Andy. Right, I'm here with James and Sheldon from Gleeds, and uh, they're what I would regard as hack veterans, having uh, been to a few provided challenges and worked on challenges. So uh, uh, thanks for, for speaking to me today. So um, just give us a bit of an outline of the challenge that you put forward for this hack. Okay, so our challenge this time is all around life cycle costing. So we were very aware of the uh, government uh, construction playbook that came out recently. And truthfully, there's nothing new in there, but it's very one of the main things in there is around should cost modelling, and a big part of that is around the life cycle costing. And we think that the industry is not very good at um, being able to give that early advice on life cycle costing of an asset, 
at, at the sort of feasibility stage. So we want to create an app that makes it very, very simple for uh, anyone preparing a capital cost estimate for a project at the same time to get a good idea of what the life cycle is so they can start looking at options. So that's the challenge. What can we do in two days to turn you know, a, a basic cost plan into a, a more rounded, holistic uh, life cycle costing, which could then take us to the next stage at some point in a full, to get a full should cost model solution. Yeah, I mean, it's been a bit of a holy grail, hasn't it, in terms of uh, whole life costs in the asset management realm for a while, and, and it's often seen as something distinct or separate from project management. So I think it's a nice hack that uh, brings those two things to, together and in a, in a practical way. Um, you, you've participated in, in hacks before, so yeah. um, tell us your your experience. I think, well, you've run a hack. Yeah, so we, we've done two previous hacks. We did um, nine and ten. And nine was our first one, and somehow we managed to win it. The first one we did, uh, our hack was all around a material price tracker, which is actually quite timely now with what's going on. But obviously, we had some kind of sixth sense of what was to come with material prices. And uh, it was a really cool challenge because it was all around web scraping, so it was using real data sources, some government data sources, and creating a real time tracker so you can monitor how. Um, uh, various material prices and labour prices are fluctuating in various areas and we've actually productionised that within Gleeds now so that's a, something that's being used within so the company. So something that you didn't hack two days and it's now gone back to the workplace and, and, and in yeah. use. And, 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 and improving. So obviously within the hack you know you do a sort of proof of concept or a minimum viable product so for that particular one we did say three uh, materials it was steel, um, timber um, and and labour rates and you know what we want to do is start adding more and more materials onto it and the, the scalability of it and where it can go is, is is really big actually so we think that's got a lot of legs and we're just going to keep iterating and iterating yeah. so what's cool about the hack is you can come out with something that works it's a proof of concept but it's actually what's really good is what happens afterwards when you realise wow well where can this go you know? yes yeah because it can be applied in other you know yeah. in other aspects too so um, do you mind if I ask your, your backgrounds because you know one of the things that um um, impressed me, if you like, or I noticed immediately is the the mix of people we have here. We've yeah. got um, you know project professionals, data professionals, you know people from project delivery or in sort of PMO um, and so on. So what, what's your background? So we're both we're both humble QSs, QSs okay. as as a, a, you know as trained as QSs, and um, I've been with Gleeds for about twenty years. So. Um, sort of my work, work my way up through there, but I've always had this interest in data, and I've always seen that you know this is the way it's going. So to see this traction being gained in the industry and organisations uh, like Projecting Success and big organisations like the Major Projects Association supporting it, I think that's a huge step change. I think just in the last year, I've seen this traction being gained, which is exciting. Yeah, I mean, I've said it many times, but you know we we sort of codify our our um, lessons and our experiences and, and eventually they make their way into you know methods and bodies of knowledge and frameworks and so on and, and it's only taken us so far and we've got to you know I think take that data-driven you know insight approach to making decisions absolutely I mean I, I keep I say it over and over again that we you know the industry actually has so much data and we just don't use it anywhere near enough so even if we can make that change from you know, whatever we're using now and increase it by 10%, that's going to have a big step change and then it will just exponentially grow. So I think we're at the very beginning of that journey, people are starting to see the value of data, still kind of understanding how that's going to work in a project environment. And like from a QS, it's in, in a way simpler because what we do is all figures and, and numbers. So you can 
kind of visual, visualise things a bit better. For PMs, I think it's, it's slightly more difficult. And that's why the hacks are important, because you come away with it and you realise, ah, OK, that's the application of data in, in project management. And what you've seen all the challenges we've got in this weekend. They're incredible. I mean, I was saying to, to, to Martin, there's not one dud challenge. I think there were 17 or something? 14. 14 challenges. And not one dud one. And it just really makes you realise what's possible with data. So um, another question I want to ask you is, um, you know, there's been a, a discussion around skills and and, uh, and moving from sort of awareness into uh, into sort of levels of capability around yeah. data analytics. And I understand you're on the apprenticeship scheme yeah. for it. So yeah. uh, just well, why? You know, you're, you're not, you know, the <laughs> why you're not that young. So. Yeah. That's the same question my <laughs> wife asked. Right? But uh, yeah, well, number one, it's quite nice to be able to call myself an apprentice at the age of forty-five. So, but. Um, in reality, um, when, when I started getting involved with projecting success and uh, looking to put some of my team through as cohorts, I just asked Martin, well, can I do it? And he said, absolutely, because um, you can call it an apprenticeship, but it's like almost a foundation degree level. And I thought to myself, well, if I'm putting um, people through, uh, in Glebe's through it, then knowing what the course is about is quite important, so I can talk with some authority and actually, um, and also learning those skills so I can have that um, sensible conversations with data scientists and data professionals and that translator role that people talk about, I thought was quite important to me. So I thought, well, actually, I'm going to do this course. And it is a commitment, you know, it's, uh, but it's extremely rewarding and the stuff I've learned on it is, is brilliant. And, you know, you can put it into use in the hacks, but also we're putting it to use every day within Glee's stuff, stuff that we're doing. And, and for me, just learning, like, you know, I'm never going to be a, a, a master programmer, but having a basic knowledge of Python enables me to recruit data scientists and ask some sensible questions around mm. it. And we've actually done that. Really. You know, we, we started to build our data team. And funny enough, one of the data scientists we've recruited, we met at the hack, and she was one of, on our team. And you know that became a relationship. So it's also the best interview ground you can have. You know, <laughs> you actually great. can spend two days with somebody and see whether they fit in, whether they get what you're doing, whether you get what they're doing. So, um, yeah, I thought, well, actually, I'm going to go all in on this. I'm going to do the course. It's a bit of a commitment, but I think it's worth it. And you know, so far, I've been really, really impressed. Yeah, that's that being able to ask those questions and and understand the um, the responses you exactly. get with, with your teams is great. Um, so. Yeah. Children, so you know, you've been to a few hacks now. If there's people listening to this uh, podcast thinking about coming to a future one, what would you say to them? I would say give it a go. Um, I really enjoy it. It's good to meet people. I mean, this is the first time we've actually done it in, in person. Mm -hmm. It's been virtual up until this point, but it's been really good. It's an eye-opener to see how we can try and move the industry forward. Um, and basically, yeah, just just jump in and, and have a go at it, really. Yeah, that's great. So I know you're working on a challenge at the moment and there's, there's a prize for the best hack, so I'm not going to take up any more of your time. And I'll, uh, I'll let you go and carry on working on the challenge. Thank you very much. No, Thank it's you. a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks very much. So here we are, beginning of day two, and uh, the, the hackers, if that's the right term, but the, uh, everyone's back uh, around their tables again and busy working away. So I'm joined by James, uh, CTO at Projecting Success and Warwick. Um, solutions analyst, is that right, Warwick? Yep. Yeah, but right. but uh, more importantly, uh, Warwick is the uh, the, the challenge um, coordinator, the challenge ninja, as I think he's more referred to. But the person that puts 
you know, significant effort in leading up to the hack to liaise with the challenge owners, um, get their challenges to, um, articulated properly, and uh, more importantly, work with them on their their data. So, got a question for you first, uh, James. Um, how does this one compare to the the first hack, or what was the what is it like back at Project Hack One? So, Project Hack One was a, was a very different story, Andy. We had about eighty delegates. We had two companies, Robert McAlpine and the A14. Um, we only had one sponsor. Uh, the challenges were great for you know where those companies were three years ago, um, but they've improved significantly in complexity, um, insights, uh, and the engagement as well. So uh, today, Project Pack 11, we've got. 12 sponsors, uh, I think we've got 10 different companies, have we, Warwick? Um, I'm losing track. Um, the, the, the challenges are much, much more insightful, much more complex, um, and the, the hackathon is, is really changing uh, what, what companies are doing with their data. It's an incredible place to be right now. Great, thanks, James. And, and Warwick, I mean, I introduced you as the, uh, you know, the, the challenge uh, ninja. So um, tell us, you know, what goes into preparing a, a hack? Because you know, there's a lot of people here, a lot of activity, and it's not just uh, all turn up and, and have a go, is it? No, no. Well, each of the challenges we bring are all prepared separately and individually with the challenge owners that bring them. So a lot of time is dedicated to each individual challenge to make sure it's sort of ready and appropriate and, and fits the theme of the event, but also specifically fits the sort of the need of the, the company that brings it. Uh, we always like to challenge people with real-world problems and things that have a have a real industry use or, or are something that can be used after the hack or at least inform well enough on making sure they've got something to build on to take advantage of what they've learned. So uh, yeah, we really we spend a lot of time working with the various challenge owners to try and craft and find out what the true problem they've got is and make sure that we've presented it so the teams can sort of tackle it and really figure out the best way to solve their problem. So if we have um, association members listening to this podcast and they're thinking of coming to a future hack with a, with a challenge, um, you know, what, what makes a good challenge? What would your what advice be? In my mind, it's all about how measurable the success of the challenge is. So having a clear idea of what it looks like to have done well. Uh, it's important to sort of have an idea of what the problem is and, and any of the details and the sort of technical recommendations we can iron out and, and discuss and plan out. But the, to me, a, a good challenge that really does well is one where we've got that clear idea of what the user needs and a great way to sort of measure when they've hit the nail and, and done brilliantly. So, James? I also think the, the relatability, that's a word of the challenge. So when you describe to the challenge to someone, how many people does that, does that challenge really resonate with? Uh, how applicable is it to, to multiple businesses? And that's yeah. the, when you really get buy-in from people, when it's not some kind of micro problem in an organization that one person is really suffering with, it's when it's a, it's a macro issue where the challenge can be deployed and the benefit can be really scaled up. Yeah, and one of our members yesterday, um, when we were chatting in the uh, sort of networking uh, session, the comment that he made, which I thought was really fascinating, was that all of the 14 challenges he could see being applicable to I his know. organization. Yes, really like, you know, I, I, I would like to take them all away and, yes. and, and deploy them. Quite, yeah. Yeah, so, right. um, 
let's talk about data um, because um, you know not all of the challenges um, but quite a number of the challenges have data that comes with the challenge um, so some of them are using sort of public domain data it's more about sort of um, the demand side of projects if you like but so for um, you know a member wants to come along with a, a challenge you know, you're going to say and can we have some data too so so you know what, what you know th there'll be some reticence I guess or some concerns about um, uh, um, you know, um, anonymity or um, intellectual property or other things about providing their data so what's the process for, for getting data or sufficient for, for a hack so I always like to tell our participants who always have questions about the data that there's no such thing as enough data, nobody's ever happy with the amount of data they've got, and it's never as accurate as you want it to be. What we really want is for challenges that need this kind of understanding and we're looking to figure out something, we need to, we need to understand that the sort of the quantity helps a lot mm -hmm. and um, at projecting success we think it's really important to bring data to the challenges especially the ones that need it and provide teams with that good foundation to start building a, a solution but we also care a lot about the commercial sensitivity and the safety and privacy of people's personal information so we've always held the standpoint that on our end we're happy to support any challenge owner to anonymize and, and protect any any privacy in the data and I think a number of times we have been accused of being a little overprotective and perhaps overly protecting the privacy but it's very important to us that there's no risk we you know it's it's part of our image that we make sure that we're we're always guaranteeing the safety of your data so we uh, we're always there we can explain how we how we do it and we make sure that there is absolutely no risk with any data you bring and anything that will have personal information on it or will have commercially sensitive information on it will clean it up and make sure there's absolutely no risk to anyone who brings it. And, and there's a, is it a data sharing agreement or there's, yes. there's a, an agreement well, that's used as well, is that right? We have agreements and a big part of that is making sure we're both happy with it. Mm -hmm. So we, we when we work with the data, we, we spend lots of time guaranteeing the safety, checking every inch of it, as it were. Even if there's lots, we have automated systems to, to, to check through the data, mm -hmm. and then we'll bring that back to you, show you what we've done, and tell you what we've done, and make sure that you're happy with the data we're bringing. Yeah. So, so if lawyers need to get involved, I guess if um, any members are thinking about Project Hack 12, it's probably need to jump in now to yes, um, yes, that's to, uh, to frame your challenge and, a lot of and the get time, that data discussion I, I, In the first meeting I have with uh, the challenge owners I almost always say here's some legal agreements make sure you have the lawyers look at it soon yeah brilliant thanks thanks Warwick so James last question for you you know project hack 20 oh actually probably a, a, a question leading into that when you did project hack one because you didn't call it project hack one did you think you did project hack 11 mm -hmm. oh, so that, was, was oh, that part of the plan I think um, right right back then we, we didn't know how successful the hackathons would be um, we certainly didn't know that we'd be doing one every two months that's for sure the, the watching the maturity of challenges and and with those challenges the data increased over time has been fascinating um, so back uh, back in the in the early days we had uh, companies that were just starting out their data analytics journey so their data was was relatively immature and we've seen it really improve the way that they structure the problems and the data they collect um, has has really managed to improve the insights that they get from those challenges what I want to see from future hacks is the adoption of 
um, I guess, data that's shared across multiple organizations. I think companies are realizing they collect information um, and they're starting to solve the problems that they're having in their businesses. But if we start to pool the data that we've got on risk, on schedule, uh, financial information, then the insights we can get can be um, significantly better than, than what we've got at the moment via you know, the Construction Data Trust um, and also open source data sets as well. So um, I've, got, I've got really big plans for uh, the data and how we use it going forward. Brilliant. So whilst we've been sat here talking, you've had three or four requests for, for, for help and I think that's something that uh, I've really taken away from today is the, the support you provide um, to, to the people here too in terms of whether that's just technical support or help with the, you know, the, the, the hack solutions and uh, you know, you even managed to get Microsoft to come along and uh, provide some of their experts who I'm going to go and talk to in a minute. But, but thank you very much. I'm not going to hold you up any longer. And uh, um, yeah, I'll perhaps speak to you later. It's a pleasure. Thanks, thank Andy. Thank you very much. So I'm joined by Graham and Quam from Microsoft to um, come along to the Project uh, Data Analytics Hackathons to, to offer their support. So welcome. Um, so I've got a question for you. How does um, this hackathon you know, focus on projects compared to other hackathons that you support? I think um, first and foremost, I'm stunned by the turnout and actually quite rather impressed. And it's great to see you know multiple members of both construction civils as well, and and you know the delegates turning up and, and participating. I would say, how does this compare? I'd say actually this is probably one of the, the rather the better ones in terms of hackathons that I that I've attended in the past. You tend to get quite a mix of folks um, who turn up at general hackathons dependent on the technology workload that's that's being um, sort of tested within the hackathon, you get a difference in maturity levels as well. And I think you've got the full spectrum here of those who are turning up who are quite new and find these elements of data sharing and low code, no code elements quite nuanced. And then you've got quite a few mature folks. So I'd say that it's a good range of skill sets and actually a good level of excitement and enthusiasm. So, yeah. Yeah, so although I guess we um, have a view that, that you know, um, construction civils or major projects generally is perhaps slow to adopt um, some of these new technologies but we can we can take um, pride then that our hackathon might be leading the way in terms of engagement yeah no most certainly and actually you know I've been taken aback by some of this you know the, the skills on on display by some of the folks um, upstairs I'm, I don't know about yourself Graham yeah 100% I, I think the energy and the excitement um, through the two days has been really impressive I, I've been amazed at, at just how involved everyone is and just the, the volume of people that have, that have come along has been amazing and and actually the number of projects that have been pitched um, across I think we had 20 projects or something like that that were, that were pitched mm -hmm. out for, for the session which is just incredible to see the demand that's there for this this work um, the technology the guys are using that sorry the, um, the the various people are using has been really interesting um, and how quickly they can turn something out um, of value has been really impressive mm -hmm. with the data coming in blind, really, without anything um, up front. So really cool to see what they're doing. Yeah, and that's an interesting point that you mentioned there, Graham, around the speed. I think what this, this is a hackathon over two days. So you can imagine if you had a, a full set of resources and almost like a full production team to enable and productionize mm -hmm. some of these concepts at scale some of the value that that can unlock for both the contractors but also the civils as well. 
Mm. Yeah, particularly when you're breaking across those organisational boundaries, you know, exactly. and, and some of the challenges that were brought were about those interface uh, yeah. aspects. I think more and more um, within this sector, we're seeing um, citizen developers, we're seeing people within business units and operating units doing more things with data, doing more things with our low-code platform, with Power Platform, to actually deliver solutions out for themselves. Um, it, it's really great to see that innovation coming from within business um, and, and that centre of excellence model where IT is supporting that has been really interesting to see grow over the last 12, 18 months within this sector. So I think it's a really important um, opportunity for, for um, organisations to, to get started and actually get value from a process improvement perspective and also take advantage of the data that they, they're already got. Mm. One of the things that's been, <coughs> excuse me, has impressed me is that you talk about low code, no code, but the you know the what's being used here is uh, are sort of applications or capabilities within your sort of standard suite of, of products, so to speak. So we're not talking sort of deep mind or or something that's going to take sort of the you know the, the energy grid to, to consume to, to run you know algorithms over a week or two. Oh, we're on about things that are yeah. available to from a major projects association. All of our members would have access to the products that you guys are supporting, is that right? Yeah, no, most certainly, you know, if we look at some of the primary data sources that um, the folks are using today, it, it's basically rudimentary Excel spreadsheets, but it's mm -hmm. how are they aggregating that data, how are they setting that data up in the correct structure so that when it is consumed, when they do build those pipelines and visualize that data, it represents things of value, things that they can use in projects. and drives an interpretation and a sense of direction that can solve some of the challenges, whether that's risk management, use cases, change management elements, how do they improve the efficiencies for project managers? And it's quite simple stuff, right? We know that you know, time and materials data, for example, is often captured in spreadsheets mm -hmm. and often manually entered. So how do you use these off-the-shelf tooling, if you will, to drive more efficiencies and more transparency, more cohesion as well? Yeah, and if we can get huge amounts of insight from fairly low levels of, of analytics, it just shows you the power of data in the first place. Most certainly. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah. So uh, okay. predictions then. So you know, perhaps in, in a year's time, two years' time, you know, what what would we be seeing in terms of data and and, and digital innovation on, on projects? What What are your thoughts? Um, so I think we we're seeing a lot more interest in terms of. Uh, accessing historical knowledge, historical information, historical data, using that for tendering for new projects, to take lessons learned, to bring that information in to understand how the next project is going to be successful or unsuccessful for that matter, so it can be, it can be corrected earlier. Um, massive push in that space, both with structured data, with information around project plans and things like that, but also unstructured information from documents and things like that, and looking back historically about about how things have run um, with previous projects. That, that's been a really key space. I mean, the other area we're seeing um, data being used more and more for now, unsurprisingly, is in the sustainability space. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that's not directly related to project delivery, but it's so important um, uh, across the board that we're, we're seeing a lot more uptake in that and a great opportunity for organisations to collaborate as well um, with joint ventures and things like that to actually achieve something that's good for everybody. Brilliant. Well, thank you. I'm not going to hold you up any longer. So uh, thank you very much for that. No worries. Thank you. That's all for part one. And what a great couple of days it's been. My key takeaways have been 
uh, the real sense of community of those involved, of the drive for improvement and the excitement of being at the frontier of project practice. And there's a great energy too. Apologies for not recording more interviews uh, through the two days, but I really did find myself getting drawn into the challenges and of discussing the approaches that the teams were taking to, to solve them. Just to give you a sense of scale, here are some numbers. There were 14 challenges provided by 12 organisations. Some 120 people attended in person and there was a further 60 or so people who attended virtually. That resulted in around 25 teams uh, working on real world business challenges uh, over just those two days that the hackathon took place. We also had a number of members from the Major Projects Association who attended as observers uh, and uh, we organised two tours for them where we gave them a briefing from James, who you heard from earlier, and then they had a chance to spend some time with a number of the teams to find out how they were working on their challenges and the, and the analytical tools and the data that they were using. There's also around 20 volunteer judges who are just starting to work now to review the solutions that were developed by the teams, and the top four will get a share of prizes provided by some of the sponsors of the hack. You can find out more about those when we review the, the winners and I'll interview some of the winning teams uh, and also talk to some of the judges in part two of this podcast. So hopefully I will be welcoming you back then.